Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Also, we provided a place in the bulletin for you to take notes, so I would encourage you uh, to do that. We've been looking at false teachers and the abundance of false teachers that we see in our day. Now, God has not left us defenseless when it comes to false teachers. In fact, He has given us the whole book of Jude to enable us to stand against false teachers. And so we have been looking at what He has said about false teachers in the first 16 verses. And then beginning in verse 17, He gives us four things we need to do if we're going to stand against false teachers. And you will see those in beginning in verse 17. And I want you to stand as we read together, and I will point out each of those four. The first one is to remember the words of the apostles, verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of spirit. And the second thing we need to do is remain in God's love. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The third thing, we need to reach out to those who are in danger. Verse 22, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And then the last step, we must rest in God's greatness. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw that we must remain in God's love. And I took a moment to explain that lest you think that you've got to do something to keep yourself in God's love. No, he's saying that you need to keep yourself in the place that you can experience the positive aspects of God's love. God unconditionally loves His own, His children. But you and I don't experience the positive aspects of His love if we are under His hand of discipline. And so we need to put ourselves in the place that we can experience the blessings and the positive expressions of God's love. Now, there are three things that Jude says we need to do if we're going to keep ourselves in that place of experiencing God's blessing. Lower me down just a little bit, Liz. All right, so 
First, we need to build ourselves up on the most holy faith. We talked about that last week. If you are not here, I encourage you to go on the internet. We have our website on front of the bulletin, and you can listen to that message. The second thing we need to do to remain in God's love is we need to pray in the Spirit. And the third thing we need to do is to anxiously await for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Today we're looking at the second thing we need to do to keep ourselves in the place of God's blessing, and that is we need to pray in the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now you remember, I said the only verb, and this is one sentence in the original language, there's only one verb and that's keep. The participles are modifying that verb. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? By building ourselves up on the faith, by praying in the Spirit, by waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today let's look at this concept of praying in the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? First of all, I want to talk to you a moment about the importance of praying in the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 18, we see how important it is to pray in the Spirit. Now, let me say that, first of all, if you want to see how important it is to pray in the Spirit, look at the life of Jesus. Prayer for Jesus was a lifestyle. It was not just that he would set times aside to pray, and he did, but it was a lifestyle for him. In fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was praying. Prayer is crucial to the Christian life. Prayer is our way of talking to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is the way you and I communicate with our God. It is a means of releasing God's power into our Christian life. James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Jesus said, whatever you shall ask, believing you shall receive. And it is through believing prayer, through praying in the Spirit, that we release the power of God into our situation and see answered prayers. Thirdly, it's important not only because it enables us to talk to our Heavenly Father, not only because it releases His power in our life, but thirdly, it is very important in our spiritual warfare. As we see over in Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And what are the schemes of the devil? Trickery, his wiles, his, his means of, of deceiving false teachers are schemes of the devil. False teachers are one of his 
primary ways of putting forth his lies, his trickeries, his deceit. And Paul tells us that it is important that we put on the full armor of God that we might be able to stand against these trickeries, these false teachers. Now, you know from your study of Ephesians, the full armor of God, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. He talks about the helmet of salvation. He talks about the sword of the word, right? And the shield of faith. But he also talks about prayer, as we see in verse 18. With all prayer, this comes right after mentioning those pieces of the armor. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times, here it comes, in the Spirit. And with this view in mind, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. As a part of our spiritual armor, praying in the Spirit is crucial. And so if we're going to stand against false teachers, we need to learn how to pray in the Holy Spirit. It is so important. Well, then what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? There are three things I'm going to tell you about praying in the Spirit this morning. First, Praying in the Spirit is Holy Spirit-motivated praying. In Ephesians 5.18, we read, Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The command is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This command is to all Christians. It's not the same thing as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is different. Every Christian is baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of conversion. At the moment that you're saved. The Bible never commands us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. doesn't need to. You're baptized the moment you're saved. But it does command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, unless you misunderstand that concept, it doesn't mean that you get more of the Holy Spirit, but it means you let the Holy Spirit fill all of you. You receive all of the Holy Spirit you're going to ever receive when you get saved. But you need to let Him have more of you. You need to let His presence fill more of your life. You remember a few weeks ago we talked about your life like a house with many rooms? You got your social room and... You got your work room and you got your family room. Well, to be filled with the Spirit means you let the Holy Spirit have His way in all of those rooms. You are filled with His presence in all of your life. It means that we surrender moment by moment to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. That we look to the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us all day, every day. And the tense of that verb, be filled, is to be filled moment by moment. It is a continual thing. To be filled moment by moment. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Let the Holy Spirit move you and guide you and lead you. And the way we do that is that we walk in obedience to the Lord of the Word as we walk in obedience to the Word of the Lord. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with Jesus. For He is the Spirit of Jesus, we're told in the book of Acts. It means that He controls us, that He motivates us in our Christian life. 
The power to live the Christian life is in the Holy Spirit, not in you. You want to get worn out? You want to get burned out? You want to get tired? You try to live the Christian life in your own strength. You can't do it. God never wanted us to. The Holy Spirit is the power to live the Christian life. He moves us. He motivates us. And one of the areas He motivates us is in prayer. So to be filled with the Spirit means you can be motivated by the Holy Spirit in your prayers. And that is what praying in the Holy Spirit is all about. It is to be motivated. Now, you can pray in the flesh. You really can. You can have that blessing that you say at the table. Uh, you know, bless this food that we're about to partake. Amen. You can say that in the flesh. You have a nighttime prayer that you have memorized that you can say that in the flesh. And you know it's in the flesh because you're laying there and you're thinking, have I prayed yet? I think I did, but if you don't know if you've prayed, you're praying in the flesh, all right? So you can pray in the flesh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer that keeps us in God's love is prayer that is initiated by the Holy Spirit. It is Holy Spirit-motivated praying. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit motivates us to pray is by burdening our hearts. You ever just have a burden sometimes for somebody? That's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pray for that person. You know, last week or the week before when I heard that that nurse in Dallas had come down with Ebola, man, God just burdened my heart to pray for her. And then when that other one came down with Ebola, pray. You know, you're watching TV and and the news and you see something and, and it just burdens your heart. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pray about that. Don't just let it pass by. Pause a minute. And pray. You ought to have some of the best prayer times of your day when you're watching the news. I mean, there's a lot of things to pray about, right? As you're reading the newspaper, you read something that presses hard on your heart, pray. God, the Holy Spirit's motivating you. He is moving you to pray. When you see those, those guys that are being beheaded by ISIS and, and you want to pray for the families, don't you? You, you just feel for their families. That's God saying, pray for them. Lift up a word of prayer when these tragedies, these storms come through areas. and You feel burdened for those people. Pray for them. Let the Spirit lead you in praying. I heard about a lady who was setting her table for, lunch, for supper one night, and she just suddenly got this tremendous burden to pray for these missionaries she knew, and so she just paused and prayed for them. A few days later, she found out that they were involved in an automobile accident, and the timing of that accident was exactly when she was motivated to pray for them. Now, we can bring it closer home than that. Several years ago, when one of our teams was going to Romania, and I was on that team, we had a layover in Amsterdam, and we got on our plane in Amsterdam to head to Budapest, and as we were taking off, suddenly we heard this awful noise, and what had happened is birds had been sucked into the engine. And then in a few moments, the pilot came on and said, we are going to have to go back and land. Now, just a few weeks prior to that time, that had happened to a Delta flight, and the part of the engine had come off and gone into the, 
and to the fuselage. As we got back and we were relating that story, a couple of people in this church, we told them what time it was. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning here, and they said, you know, God woke me up to pray for y'all then. Yeah. God leads people. How many times have you seen, and I've seen, God burden me, and I pray for somebody, and then I go up to them and say, you know, I prayed for you today. And they said, man, I really needed it. And they talk about something that happened. And so praying in the Spirit is Holy Spirit motivated praying. In Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, I know these verses primarily deal with church discipline, but I think they also deal with prayer. That word agree is, we get the English word symphony from it. It means to sound together. Now, it doesn't just mean you come up to somebody and say, hey, how about agreeing with me about this and let's pray. No, that's not what it means at all. What it means is the Holy Spirit burdens your heart and the Holy Spirit burdens their heart. And when you come together, you both can unite in prayer as never before. Because there's a common burden that you're sharing. Parents, you see this a lot with your kids, don't you? Both of you, a burden about your kids in a certain area, you come together and you pray about that. That's Holy Spirit initiated praying. So as we allow Him to control us, He will motivate us in our prayers. Another way He motivates us is by showing us a need in which we are to pray. Now this is not so much of a burden as a recognition that I need to be praying about this. This happens when it comes to our family members. Leaders in our nation. God tells us to pray for our leaders. Right? Leaders in your church. I, I recognize the need. My pastor needs prayer. I'm going to pray for him. So this is a recognition of a need. Praying for leaders. Praying for family members. Praying for persecuted Christians. We talk about this throughout the year. This is, you realize this is a need. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see a need there. And so you pray. That's Holy Spirit motivated praying. Another way He motivates us to pray is to pray Scripture back to Him. He may bring a Scripture to your mind and you sense, I need to lift this Scripture up to God as a prayer. On every Monday, as I'm thinking about the RUI radio ministry, Isaiah 55, 11 comes to my mind where God promises His Word shall never go out and return empty, but always accomplish what He wants it to accomplish. So I just turn that into a prayer. I say, Lord, as Mark and Jonathan proclaim Your Word today over the radio waves, I claim Your Word that it will not go out and come back empty-handed, but it will accomplish what You want it to accomplish. When I sense a spiritual warfare going on that's particularly intense. Uh, I've been led to pray through Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm 68, where it says, Let God arise, let His enemies be scattered. Let those who hate Him flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. And I'll say, God, I am sensing a tremendous attack from the enemy. Lord, I ask that you would drive them away as smoke is driven away. And I think about the smoke from a fire in the wind just blowing it away. 
I said, Lord, cause them to melt like wax before the fire. Drive those spirits away. Let your enemies be scattered. So he may give you a verse. Take that verse, pray it back to God. So Holy Spirit motivated praying then means that we are motivated by the Spirit as He burdens us, as He shows us a need, or He gives us a scripture that He wants us to pray. So the Holy Spirit leads us, motivates us to pray. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit is Holy Spirit-empowered praying. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus talking to His disciples said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's why I tell you the power to live the Christian life is in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He's going to empower you. He's going to give you the strength. He's going to give you the grace to walk with me. But one of the important things about walking with God is prayer. And so Holy Spirit praying is Holy Spirit empowered praying. And I mean that there will be a fervor, a holy heat in our praying. I remember several years ago when I was in my first church I pastored, it was this lady that had had a growth in her stomach. She'd gone to the doctor. They'd done x-rays. They had determined that it needed to come out. He had said, let's schedule surgery for Thursday. And he, she found out he was going out of town on Friday. And she said, I don't want you operating on me on Thursday and you going out of town on Friday. This was about 35 years ago, back when doctors were a little more hands-on with your patients. You know, and they actually visited you in the hospital. And so he said, okay, well, we'll set it up for the next Thursday. Well, between those two Thursdays, we had a deacon's meeting on Monday night. And so she came and, and asked us to anoint her and pray for her. Well, we knelt. We anointed her. We began to pray. And let me tell you, the temperature of that room must have risen 10 degrees. I mean, it got to be a holy heat in that room. And those old deacon guys, they just plain old everyday guys, they started praying like I never heard them pray before. And she said, something happened. She said, I felt like electricity shot through my body. She went back to the doctor before the surgery. He couldn't find it. He x-rayed it. He said, it's gone. I don't understand it. She said, I'll tell you what happened. So she told him. But there is a, a, a fervor. There's a holy heat that comes when you're praying in the Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit praying, and this holy heat is not emotionalism. I need to distinguish that. Just because somebody gets excited, emotional, when they're praying, doesn't mean they're praying in the Spirit. I mean, I hear these preachers on TV and radio, man, they can get a pitch going. They can get it moving. But it doesn't mean they're praying in the Spirit. You see, this fervor I'm talking about is a Holy Spirit-generated confidence and boldness as we approach God. And it is a boldness and confidence based on the work of Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 10, listen to what he says. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, that is God's very throne room in heaven, how? By the blood of Jesus. 
by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. The writer of Hebrews says, we can come into the presence of holy God. How? We're sinful. Only because another took our sin on himself. And we have the perfect blood of Jesus covering our sin. Therefore, we can go into his presence with a boldness, with a confidence based on what he accomplished. It's that boldness and that confidence in what Jesus accomplished as I place my faith in him and his atoning sacrifice for my sins that I recognize that I have the righteousness of God in Him, and therefore I can come into the presence of holiness clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That gives me a boldness. That gives me a confidence, a holy fervor. Also in Hebrews chapter 4, there's another verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because we got a high priest that knows what we go through, because he was tempted, he walked in our shoes, he understands. Therefore, let us draw near with, has that word again, with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I can go into the presence of holy God, because I know my Lord Jesus understands my weaknesses. He understands my temptations. He understands my needs. And He is there interceding for me at the throne of grace. And therefore, I can with confidence come in His presence. And that creates a holy boldness that is a fervor that is generated by the Holy Spirit. And that is characteristic of praying in the Spirit. Also, Not only is there a holy fervor when you pray in the Spirit by His empowerment, but there's also a persistence in our praying. Remember Jesus talked about this in a parable over in Luke 18. Now He was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Now when you are praying in the Holy Spirit, you have a perseverance in your praying. You don't just pray once or twice and then quit. If you do, you're not praying in the Holy Spirit. You continue to persist and persevere in that praying until you get the answer either in your heart or in your hand. You continue to pray. You continue to call on God and beseech Him and ask Him, until He either gives you assurance in your heart that that prayer is answered, and so from then on you don't ask Him, you thank Him. Or you see it actually happen in front of you. That's Holy Spirit-empowered praying. It is a persistent praying. Because if it depends on us, we don't have the persistence. If it's praying in the flesh, we give up, we quit, we become discouraged. But praying that's empowered by the Holy Spirit continues even when you don't see any results you continue to pray week after week and month after month and sometimes year after year and sometimes decade after decade because the holy spirit's empowering you to pray what does it mean it means to persist in your prayers it means to have a holy 
in your prayers. All right, let's review just for a moment. To pray in the Holy Spirit in such a way it keeps you in the place of God's blessing, it is first Holy Spirit-motivated praying. It is secondly Holy Spirit-empowered praying. And thirdly, it is Holy Spirit-directed praying. You see, the Holy Spirit directs us to pray according to the will of God. John speaks about this in his book, in 1 John chapter 5. We read this. He talks about the importance of praying in the will of God. Beginning in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests which we've asked from Him. So here's John's logic. If we pray according to God's will, He hears. If He hears, He answers in the way that we pray. So it all hinges on praying according to the will of God. Now this is a presupposition of every promise we have of prayer throughout Scripture. When Jesus said, Whatever you shall ask, believing you shall receive, it is under the understanding that you're asking according to God's will. God is not in the business of just giving you whatever you want, whatever is your will to have. But when the Holy Spirit is leading you, when He is guiding you, He will give you the wisdom to know the will of God in your prayers. Because He leads us to pray according to God's will. Now, in many, many ways He can lead us. He is not limited. He may lead you to pray according to God's will when He gives you a promise to claim. You may be going through some particularly difficult time. And so you just don't know how to to trust God in that situation. You don't know how to, to, to handle the situation. And so he brings to your mind a promise in James chapter 1, which says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So you know the will of God is for you to pray for wisdom, to know how to live in that situation in a way that glorifies God. And so, Lord, give me wisdom. Is He going to grant it? Of course He's going to give you wisdom. Or you're facing a situation that just seems too difficult, and He brings to your mind Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, this is your will for me to do this thing? If it is, I know you're going to give me the strength I need to do it. You pray that prayer, is He going to give you the strength? Yes, He will. You have a friend at work who's a Christian, and she tells you that she's just gotten engaged with this guy. You're asking her about this guy, and where does he go to church? She says, well, he doesn't. Uh, He's going through a difficult time right now in his life. He's searching for himself, and... uh, He doesn't believe there is a God. How do you think you ought to pray in that situation? Well, Scripture makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? He says, do not be 
unequally yoked, right? You know what the Scripture brings out over in 2 Corinthians? Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what part the ship has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Pray God will break up that engagement. It is not His will. It is not His revealed will for them to be married. It's clear. You know how to pray about it. Talking to another friend at work. She said, man, I, I'm, I'm, I just got to get out of this marriage. I, I just, I can't stand it any longer. You say, well, has your husband been sexually unfaithful to you? No. Has he deserted you? Well, no. I just can't stand it. We, we're just arguing all the time. And it's just not good for the kids. Well, how does God want you to pray in that situation? God says, what he has joined together, let no man put asunder. In Matthew, right? You know how to pray for that. Pray, God, don't let that marriage break up. Keep them together. I know a marriage that I've been praying for for 25 years or more. And man, they have come so close. <laughs> but they're still together, praise God. Praise God. They've been through some horrible times. But I keep saying, God, what you have joined together, let no man put asunder. And God has been faithful to His Word. How do you pray for your teenagers? Second Timothy. Now flee from youthful lust. Hey, is that not a good one for teenagers, huh? Not too bad for old folks either, is it? <laughs> Those old lusts can be bad too. But you know the passion of youth, right? Flee. Flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, love, faith, and peace. And this is part I really like. With those who call on God from a pure heart. What's he saying? Pray for those young people. If they'll run away from those, uh, those youthful passions. And if they'll run toward righteousness and faith and love and peace. And they'll do it with other Christian friends. See, that they will do it with those who also call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Praying that God will surround them with Christian friends who desire to walk with God like they do. That's how you pray for your teenagers. Great verse right here. How do you pray for your kids? Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Now, do you think it's God's will for your children to obey you? Do you think it's God's will for your children to honor you? Yeah. Well... You've got a big part in that, don't you? But as you are bringing them up to listen, to obey, to honor, pray God will give them that obedient heart. Pray God will give them a heart that honors those in authority. Ladies, you don't know how to pray for your husband. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God, get a hold of this man and Show him his responsibility to be the spiritual leader in our home. Motivate him to disciple our kids and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, help him not to frustrate our kids and, and not to provoke our kids to anger with his constant perfectionism. Mm. 
Pray for yourself, men. Lord, help me. Help me to be reasonable when it comes to my kids. And not expect more of them than is reasonable. And not to always be holding the standard so high they never can get there and they're always frustrated. Never can please daddy. It's never enough. That's how you pray. So, praying in the Spirit is first Spirit-initiated praying. As He burdens your heart, as He shows you a need. It is also Spirit-empowered praying as you're filled with the Spirit. And then it is Spirit-directed praying as He directs you to pray according to the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. Let me give you an example of this kind of praying. David Brainerd was a young man in his 20s that lived back in New England in the 1700s, around 1740s, 50s. And God placed a burden on his heart to reach out to the Native Americans in New England. And this young man, he was not in good health, but he had a fervor. He had a heart for these Indians. He It was said that he would have such a fervency in his prayers that he would spend all night praying for those Indians. And sometimes the ground would be covered with snow and he would lay down and pray. And in the next morning, there would be the snow would be melted about two feet from his body where he had generated such a holy heat in his praying. Twenty-eight months, he prayed and he prayed and he witnessed and he loved them. And he only saw two converts, his interpreter and his interpreter's wife. Twenty-eight months. He writes in his journal that he was to the point, the lowest point he had ever come to. He says, I began to entertain serious thoughts of giving up my mission. I do not know that my hopes respecting the conversion of the Indians were ever reduced so low an ebb. Yet, because he was praying in the Spirit, he didn't give up. He kept praying. Because he was empowered by the Spirit, he continued to minister to witness. And then when it looked the most bleak, when it was the darkest, God began to work. When he had given up all human hope, then God moved in. So who would get all the glory? And within a year, 77 of the Indians were baptized and they came out of, of alcoholism and animism and their lives were radically transformed. And within a year, he led a congregation of 150. Praying in the Spirit. This puts us in the place to remain in God's love. This keeps us in the place to receive His positive Expressions of love. Are you committed? Will you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enable you to pray in the Spirit? Will you just say, God, I want to pray in the Spirit. I really do want my prayers to be in the Spirit. Now, I want to take what the preacher said. and I want to be directed in my praying. And I want to be empowered in my praying. And I want to be in, you to initiate my praying. I will look to you to do this in me. Will you give that prayer to Him? I believe that's His will. 
So I believe if you pray it, He'll begin to work it in you. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org. Dot org.